is John, verses 17 to 44. Just want us all to settle our hearts and think about the truths in God's word this morning, especially this Sunday on Resurrection Sunday. Let us remember that through the scriptures, God reveals himself and his character to us. And then that just means that we have to hold the scriptures in the highest regard. So let's hear the Lord speak to us this morning. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray as elder comes. Father, I thank you for this word, being able to read it and hear it so freely on Resurrection Sunday. 
Father, as Elder comes, I pray that you speak, speak through him to bring clarity to these words and explain to us as a church family and individually what you want us to take away with us this morning. Lord, speak to us. May your glory shine this morning. Amen. Good to see you all. Uh, it's Easter, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you don't, if you're new visiting, you're very welcome. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors at Village, and uh, I lead a team here in Village South. And I'm just stalling because I need to get my notes up here on my iPad. Uh, I want to try something, and some of you will just really squirm at this, and some of you will love it. So I'll try it anyway. Uh, I want to say it's okay to be happy, right? It's okay to be happy all the time for Christians, but it's okay to be happy in church. Church, we, we don't want to be stuffy. We, don't, we, don't, we can be joyful, okay? And we can show our joy. We can let our faces see it. So I'm going to say, uh, Duncan came in this morning. Uh, Duncan's on, on the computer at the back. A lot, most of you know Duncan, right? And Duncan came in. He said uh, to a few people, he is risen. And I said to him, he is risen indeed. That's a kind of normal response. And some people just looked at him blankly. So what we're going to do is I'm going to say, he is risen. And then everybody's all squirming already. And then we're all going to say he is risen indeed because I'm really, I really mean this. Like Without that, I just want to go home right now, okay? Without, without believing that truth, I want to go home right now. So let's try this. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Great. Amen. Jesus is alive, and I really, really believe that. Uh, oh, and thank you to Hannah and Chloe for doing the flowers. They look class, don't they? they look really great. So thanks, guys, wherever you are. Um, a few years ago, uh, before the pandemic, remember when you could go places without um, needing a law degree? But um, I was going to America for a conference, and uh, one of the things you have to do before you fly to America from Ireland or the UK is you have to fill out a, a, visa, a visa waiver form or a visa exemption form, one of those things. Um, you don't need a visa, but you do need this form. And so I got to the check-in desk, all like, you know, feeling chilled out, had my coffee, you know, a couple of hours to spend at the airport, no problem. And the woman goes, oh, have you got your, uh, you got your, uh, you know, your ticket and you got your uh, passport? And I was like, yes. And then she's like, where are you flying to? I'm flying to the States. Oh, can I have your visa thing? And I said, oh, no, because <laughs> I hadn't done it. And, and that would be fine, except it usually takes a few days for this to come back. And it was a Sunday, so the office was closed. And so I was just thinking, well, there's no way I'm going to get on this flight because the flight took off in a couple of hours. Now, somehow, probably by a miracle, I filled it in on my phone online and it came back within about half an hour. But as much as I got the form, that left me in a situation where uh, I was doing a Home Alone style, <laughs> like sprinting through the airport or like Dumb and Dumber where he's like pushing people out of the way and all that was me. Um, and I got to the gate just as she was about to close it and I was sweating and I had my bag, uh, and it was the only time in my life that I've got on a plane and everybody clapped. <laughs> uh, and that was really embarrassing. And maybe you've had moments in your life like that, uh, moments that we could call if-only moments. Like if only I had filled in that form a few, even just a few days earlier, right? Um, if you're anything like me, you probably have if-only moments all the time. Uh, my life is full of only if-only moments. If only you had checked the weather, you would have known to bring a coat and not got soaked on the way home. Or if only you had closed the gate, the dog wouldn't have got out in the street. Um, or if only maybe you had put the handbrake on, the car wouldn't have rolled uh, back into another car. Maybe you have your own if-only moments. But as much as we probably all have if-only moments in life, there's one experience that is common to us all. Um, 
Something that is completely inescapable, utterly terrible, and usually brings about a response of, if only. And if you haven't guessed what I'm talking about, it's death. Death is an inescapable reality, and we have to all face up to that fact, right? Um, No matter how diverse the makeup of any room we're in, there's one thing that for sure we all have in common, and that's that we're all going to die. We can all come from different backgrounds. We can all have different personalities, different interests, different politics. We can all even be of different races, but the one thing we have in common is death. We're probably all familiar with the old saying, nothing is certain life except death and taxes. Well, If you watch the news, you know that's not true. Um, Taxes aren't inevitable for everyone, but death most certainly is. We can't escape it. If we've seen anything over the last two years, that's, we've been faced with that fact that death comes to us all. If you uh, look at social media or turn on your TV and see the horrors of what's happening in Ukraine right now, you're faced with the, you're faced with the, the, with the reality of death. And whether it's by war or an accident or even just old age, Death comes for us all. And and human beings have various responses to death, don't we? Some people try to deny it, right? We kind of put it out of our minds and we try not to think about it. Or we we, we try our best to be healthy, take care of our bodies and, and, and live longer. You might even try to look younger through beauty regimes or maybe even cosmetic procedures. Um, others try to embrace death, right? We, we tell ourselves, it's all part of the circle of life. It's a good thing, like the Lion King, circle of life, that thing. Like somehow we pretend that, that, that death isn't the enemy that the Bible tells us it is and that we even know within ourselves that it is. But one of the most common responses to death is, if only, if only. And maybe you've even said that or you've been with someone who said that. I know I have. We make statements like, oh, if only I had been there. Or, if only, if only he hadn't gone to work that day, or if only the ambulance had, could have got here quicker. If only is a really common response to death, probably because death is the ulti- ultimate reminder that we're not actually in control. And in the passage that Claire read for us, uh, we see the same if only response to death. Mary and Martha, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you might know of Mary and Martha, their sisters, and they are in mourning. Now, they live in a wee town just outside Jerusalem, two miles, not even the length of carried off up the road. And four days ago, their brother Lazarus has died. He had been ill. We don't know what his illness was. We don't know how long he had been ill, but we know that it had resulted in his death. And we enter the story when Jesus comes to Mary and Martha. And and this is a family that Jesus is really close to. Like, he's a, a really good family friend. You know, he probably just feels like part of the family. We know he's, he's already been in their house and, and had food and all that kind of stuff with them. And John tells us that, that Jesus loved Lazarus. And now it seems that Jesus has come just too late. Just too late. And Martha... Heard that Jesus, or sorry, Mary, uh, sorry, Martha, I'm getting confused. Martha, she hears that Jesus is coming and she rushes out to meet him. And she says to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If only you'd been here, Martha, or Jesus. And then Mary, likewise, when she goes to meet Jesus, she also says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If only. And there are other mourners there too, probably friends and extended family, and they respond in a really similar way. They say, couldn't, this guy's healed blind people. Couldn't he have stopped Lazarus from dying? 
If only, if only, if only. And I wonder, do we have the same attitude to death? How do we respond to death? And I know, I know it's Easter Sunday and I'm supposed to be talking about life and resurrection. But the truth is we can't talk about resurrection without first acknowledging death, can we? Because there can't even be resurrection without first being death. The very thing that we celebrate at Easter can only be celebrated because death has first taken place. And so if we want to think about and reflect on and even celebrate resurrection, we have to first consider death. So let me ask us again, how do you think about death? How do you, how do you face up to this inescapable fact? Death comes for us all, and we, we're all going to face up to it at some point. Sooner or later, something is going to come into your life, and it's going to bring you face to face with the reality that death is real, and that death is something we can't escape. So how do you respond? Do you respond like Mary and Martha and the mourners with, if only? Maybe you respond with denial, or maybe even try to embrace it. But no matter our response, the problem still remains. Death comes for us all. There's no getting around that fact that death is our destiny. So how do we solve the inescapable problem of death? How do we solve the problem of death? Because the Bible tells us that that death is our ultimate problem, right? Romans 5 verse 12 tells us that sin entered into the world and through death or through sin, death. In other words, death is the result of sin coming into the world. And this means that not only are we destined for physical death, but also without intervention, we are destined for eternal death as well. Revelation 20, verse 14, calls this the second death. Without intervention, we are bound to die not just physically, but eternally as well, spiritually. You see, death is the outworking of an enemy far too great for us to conquer. No one can beat death. Uh, not, you know, loads of people have tried. It's not for the want of trying. Um, and thanks to, I suppose, medical advances and science and healthy living and good nutrition, all that kind of stuff, people are living longer now than they ever have. But death still comes for us all. Death is a terrible horrific and unnatural enemy. I can imagine how Martha and Mary felt this day. This is awful. This is unnatural. Why is this happening? And the truth is that left to our own devices, we can't solve the problem of death, can we? So what are we to do? Well, here's where we look to the Lord Jesus. And here's what we see in this passage. We see that only Christ can solve our problem of death because he himself is the resurrection and the life. Only Christ can solve our problem of death because he himself is the resurrection and the life. Now, I I love this story of Lazarus uh, being raised from the dead, and not just because a man comes back to life, which which is pretty amazing, but because I I love it because it tells us so much about Jesus. It, it, It particularly tells us about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. You see, Jesus shows up to this place of mourning, And he comes to awake, and he addresses the problem of death head on. He doesn't say, if only. He doesn't try to deny it. He doesn't try to sweep it under the carpet or or, or downplay it. Jesus addresses the problem of death head on. 
And he addresses it with truth and with power and authority in a way that no one else could. Jesus addresses death by proving that he himself is the solution to our most universal and most terrible problem. And he proves this in three ways. Jesus proves that he's a solution to the problem of death through a glorious truth, an emotional response, and a victorious action. A glorious truth, an emotional response, and a victorious action. See, the first thing Jesus does is give us this glorious truth. A glorious truth about himself in which we see that Jesus is our only hope. When Martha... Who, uh, Martha's the one of the two sisters that I most relate to because Martha's the one that always has to be doing something. Like she always has to be in action. That's a bit like me. Um, I'm not very good at, uh, at sitting and, and not doing anything. So Martha hears that Jesus is coming. She's straight into action. She runs out to meet him. And then she says to him exactly the kind of thing we might expect her to say, the kind of thing we would say. She says that if only, if only you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. She knows Jesus. She's seen him perform miracles. She knows his power, and she knows you could have stopped this. I don't think it's a lack of faith on Martha's part. I think it's actually, in her way, an expression of her faith. But then Jesus says, well, listen, Martha, Lazarus is going to rise again. Now, Martha is a woman of faith, right? She knows her doctrine. She's a good Jewish woman who believes in, in, in the resurrection in the end days. And so she believes that Lazarus will rise again one day. But what she doesn't realize is that Jesus is saying that Lazarus is going to rise again right now. And Jesus responds to her with the most incredible words in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, before we look at what he does say, look at what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, ah, Martha, I'm so sorry your brother has died let me give you a hug. I'm praying for you. Please know that God is still good, even in the middle of this tragedy. Stuff that I would say and do, that I have said and done in situations like that. He doesn't respond to death in the same way we do. What Jesus does is turn her attention to himself. Jesus takes this grieving woman and she tur he turns her attention to him. Why? Because only Jesus can give us any real comfort and real hope in the face of death. Our only real comfort and hope in the face of death is Jesus himself. Martha's hope is in her kind of theological convictions, her doctrine. But Jesus takes all that. He takes our beliefs, the knowledge we have, the things that we believe. And he says, he says, I am those things. I am the embodiment of those things. All those things you believe about resurrection, these are about me. I am the fulfillment of your beliefs. Jesus takes the truth about resurrection and makes it about himself. It's stunning. If it's true. He reminds us that our ultimate hope is not in a set of events, but in a person. Our hope, any hope that we have as Christians, is not in a set of events, but in a person. Now put yourself in Martha's shoes for a second. And maybe, I know that for some of you this will be easier to do than others. Her, her brother has just died. Like, the pain and the grief is sharp and overwhelming. It's, it's, it's all that she can not just think about it, but it's all she is. It's all she can experience. 
Grief is the totality of her experience in that moment. Maybe you know this feeling. Well, here's what we need to hear. Hope isn't found in kind words. All the platitudes and all the statements of comfort can't really deal with the problem of death. He might give us a small measure of comfort, but the truth is that death still remains. But real hope and real comfort and a lasting solution to the problem of death can only be found in a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, look to me. And this is the invitation that he doesn't just give to Martha 2,000 years ago, but he gives to us this morning. He says, look to me, believe in me, be joined to me. This is really how you deal with the problem of, of death. Because it's only, being, it's only through being joined to Christ through faith that we can share in his resurrection, right? Did you know this? This is a key thing that we, that we hold to as Christians. When we believe in Jesus, we are joined to him, right? We're united with him. We are found in him. This stunning thing happens that, that we become engrafted into him. And when we are in him, we share in his resurrection. To put it simply... If you believe in Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead, and so will we. Okay? Jesus rose from the dead, and so will we. That's what we believe. That's what Jesus' resurrection means for us if we believe in it. Look again at what Jesus says to Martha in verses 25 to 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, Jesus is saying that there is a solution to the problem of death. And he is that solution. Whoever believes in Jesus will receive eternal life. When it says, believes in me, when Jesus says, believes in me, it's almost like the language is saying, believes into me, right? That you're putting your trust in him. The way you might sink into a chair, I sink into this chair. I, I believe into Jesus. We become engrafted into him. Whoever believes in me will receive eternal life. And whoever ever has eternal life by believing in me will never die. Yeah, yeah. We might die physically. The natural life in your body will probably one day ebb away unless Jesus comes back first. But, the, but true and lasting life that you receive in Jesus will last forever. So even though my body will, will die, the life that I possess in Jesus will not stop. It will continue on. And you know what this means? It means that for those of us who believe in Jesus, we don't have to fear death anymore. I think that's a real clear application of what Jesus is saying here. We no longer have to fear death anymore. Isn't that incredible? Why would you fear something that doesn't have any hold on you? Jesus is alive, and if you believe in him, you'll be alive forever too. This means that for those of us who believe in Jesus, even if we die in this life, death is just like a doorway into the true and lasting life we have in him. You see, the, the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of, of those of us who follow him is more than just a, a theological concept. It's a personal reality. It's found in Jesus. Not, Jesus doesn't just give life. He is life. Our hope is in the person of Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. That's the glorious truth. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Then we see that Jesus has this emotional response. 
an emotional response which, which shows us that Jesus cares for us. You see, by now, Mary has come out to meet Jesus, and, and she has the same grief-filled response uh, as her sister. She says, if only. But Jesus, when he sees the pain and the grief, not just in these sisters, but in the other mourners too, he is deeply, deeply moved. He has a deep emotional response. The words that John uses to record what happens here actually uh, tells us that that he was deeply moved in himself. He is greatly troubled. Uh, This is like saying he is in turmoil. Actually, the word used here is used to describe like when horses snort in anger. Jesus is in turmoil. He is almost angry at the suffering he sees around him. And, And maybe you can relate to Jesus here because I, I know that when I look at what's happening in Ukraine right now, I have that response of, of grief and anger mixed. You ever feel like that? And then we see some of the most incredible words in the whole Bible. In John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Ah, such powerful words. Jesus wept. Now, maybe you think that God doesn't care about you. Maybe you, maybe you think that, well, even if there is a God, then he's off in heaven doing a God thing and, and he doesn't really care about me. One of, the, one of the questions that people ask most often is, if God really is good, if, if God really is love, loving, then, then why is there so much death and suffering? And I think that most of the time when people ask this, or at least when I've spoken to people who have asked this, it, it, they don't ask it in the abstract, right? It's, it's not just some kind of out there question, usually they're asking because they want to know the answer to their own pain. Really, the question people ask is, why doesn't God care about my pain? Well, here is Jesus showing us through his action that he does care. Here is Jesus, God in human form, and he enters into the suffering and pain and grief of his, of his friends. This is incredible. The Lord of heaven shows up at a funeral. He weeps. Uh, a friend of mine commented that you have to do a lot to out-weep out uh, first century uh, uh, Israelite mourners because they actually had professional mourners who would come to, to the funeral. Uh, if you're a rich family like Lazarus' family and, and they would wail loudly, <laughs> So you have to do a lot to out-mourn these people. But, but Jesus' emotional response is so extreme that people notice it. And they say, look how much he loves Lazarus and Mary and Martha. See how much he cares. Can I please tell you that Jesus cares for you? We should know this. We should hear this. Jesus cares for you. He's not indifferent to your pain. He's not absent from your suffering. Suffering. He's not a stranger to your grief. In fact, the Bible tells us that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Imagine calling grief an acquaintance. Jesus enters into our world and he feels for it. Jesus cares for you. Jesus wept. And he doesn't just weep. He doesn't just weep out of of grief that his friend has died. It's not because Lazarus is dead, because he knows that he's going to raise Lazarus again in a minute anyway. He weeps and he grieves and has this deep, angry, emotional response because of the sickness and the death and the results of sin around him that he sees. 
He is moved in his emotion against the result of sin in the world. He sees the pain and the suffering, and far from being indifferent to it, or far from removing himself far from it, he is moved against it. You see, Jesus cares so much that he didn't just have an emotional response. But the third thing we see is that Jesus has a victorious action. A victorious action over death in which we see that Jesus is our Savior. A victorious action over death in which we see that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus now says, where have you laid him? Where's, where's the grave? And so he goes to the tomb. You see, in those days, um, people weren't necessarily always, they weren't buried underground. Um, they were usually buried in a tomb that was, had been carved out of the rock or usually sometimes a natural cave that was there. And you would be put in there and then uh, a stone would be put over the entrance to seal it up. And sometimes they were upright and sometimes they were laid flat and all this kind of stuff. And now, when Jesus came to the tomb, to where Lazarus is, for him, it's not, it's not now just the time to say more glorious truth, although he had lots to say, and there is more displayed in this. It's not just time for an emotional response, although you, can, you, can, you know that his actions here are, are, are driven by his emotional response. But for Jesus, at this tomb, his friend has died, now is the time for action. And Jesus does like the weirdest thing. I was thinking about what it would be like to be there. Jesus says, can you open the tomb? And Martha quite rightly has the most rational voice and she's like, are you, are you kidding me? Like she even says, he's been in there four, day, four days. It's gonna be, st- I mean, it's gonna be stinking, Jesus. This is, you can't do, like it's almost a horror movie, isn't it? Jesus says, open the tomb. But then he does something even weirder. He stands at the entrance of the tomb and he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I mean, Jesus, this is crazy. There was in the 12th century, there was a king called King Canute, and he stood on the seashore and tried to command the tide to stop. Or we just find a video of Abigail when she was tiny, maybe like one and a half or two, in the city center, shouting stop at like a motorbike or something, like traffic. Like, what are you going to do, Abby? Are you going to stop traffic? But what Jesus does here is even more crazy. What kind of person thinks they can stand in front of a grave and tell a dead person to come out of their own tomb. Well, I'll tell you who can do that. Either a crazy man, or the one with the power and authority to make it happen. See, Jesus has authority over all things, and when he commands, even the dead obey him. And sure enough, Lazarus command, Jesus' command, Lazarus comes out of his tomb, which must have been like a horror movie too. I mean, he's... Shuffling out like a, like a zombie. The Bible, t- John tells us, the dead man came out, his hands and feet, feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. This is how they buried people back then. You were, you were wrapped in a, a big linen sheet, twice the length and width of the, hum- of the body. And then, and then you had a, a, a napkin, a, a cloth put over your face. We know this from the accounts of Jesus' resurrection too, which we'll come back to there. And then Jesus says, hey, take off the grave clothes. Come on, he's stuck in here. Unbind him and let him go. Now put yourself in one of these mourners. Imagine you've gone, you've heard that, you know, your second cousin, your cousin Lazarus has died. Or your, your colleague Lazarus has died. And, and you've come to the wake. You've come to pay your respects to, to Lazarus. And you've come to put your arm around Mary and Martha and say, I'm sorry for your loss. 
See, these people had come to do the only thing that we know how to do in the face of death. Mourn, be sad, be defeated. But instead, they see Jesus' victorious action over our worst and ultimate enemy. This wasn't a trick, okay? I just want like, to put this out here and impress this on you. It wasn't a trick. This wasn't somebody that was just unconscious. He hadn't just died and, and Jesus did CPR, you know, to revive him. Lazarus has been rotting in the Mediterranean heat for four days. But when Jesus calls him, life enters into that dead, rotting body and he walks out of a tomb. But we shouldn't put our attention on Lazarus. You see, the point of this story isn't about Lazarus. Just as Jesus turns the attention of 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 Martha to himself. We need to turn our attention to him too. The, the Lazarus coming out of that grave is a sign pointing forward to Jesus' identity. It's telling us who Jesus is. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the answer to the problem of death. He is the victory over our greatest and worst enemy. We have a problem, death, and we can't escape from it. It's a terrible and impossible problem, but Jesus says, I am the answer. Jesus wept over the death. He was emotionally moved over the effects of sin and death. And this proves that he cares about us. But he doesn't just care, he conquers. You see, Jesus defeats our worst enemy and the resurrection of Lazarus was just the beginning. This is just a signpost along the road of his own journey. And in just a few days after this, he's going to walk out of his own tomb. Once and for all, proving that he is the resurrection and the life. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that death is swallowed up in victory. Now here's what I find incredible about this. Because what happens when you go into a grave? You are swallowed up in the earth. Right? That's what happens. That's what happened to Jesus. He's put in this tomb and he's swallowed up in the tomb. But somehow, the death, the grave is swallowed up in Jesus' victory. In other words, Jesus' victory has devoured our ultimate enemy. That should be cause for celebration. Jesus died, and like Naomi said earlier, she was absolutely right. It it looked like death had won, didn't it? Like for us, death is the end. But then, he defeated death by not staying dead. Jesus took the worst that sin and the devil could throw at him. And we spent time on Friday night considering the depths of that. He took the worst that the devil could throw at him, and he conquered it. And having conquered death once and for all, he proves and establishes himself as our Savior. And this brings us to some of the most poignant words in this whole passage. You see, in verse 26, Jesus asked Martha a question. And the question is this. It's on the screen. Do you believe this? Right? See, see, Martha has already told Jesus that she believes in, in the doctrine and the religion. But Jesus asks her to believe something else. You see, what he's really asking her is, Martha, do you really believe in your heart that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you really believe that I am who I say I am? To put it simply, Jesus is asking her, do you believe in me? And Jesus, because he's alive, by the way, through his word this morning, is inviting us to ask ourselves that same question. Do you believe this? Right, what, what is Easter to you? 
Is it, is it just a, a bank holiday? Is it just a time of year when you're like, well, I better come to church today? <laughs> or is it just a time uh, like I'm going to do this afternoon to be with family and eat chocolate? I'm going to do those things, and I'll enjoy one more than the other, and you can guess which one. Hope oh, none of my family listened to this recording. It's a joke. Uh, or do you really believe the message of Easter? That's what Jesus is asking us this morning. It's a question we all have to ask. And here's why. Because without the resurrection, what is Jesus, right? At best, he's just some kind of kind teacher who goes around helping the poor and, and sick people and says some really inspiring and difficult things. If he didn't rise from the dead, if he didn't walk out of the tomb, then there is no Christianity. And at worst, Jesus is just a, a lunatic who went around telling people that he's the son of God and ultimately was executed. But Jesus actually rose from the dead. I had to ask myself this this morning. I was walking up, I was cycling up here. I was like, do you actually believe that? And I was like, oh yeah, I actually do. I actually believe Jesus physically, bodily rose from the dead. He really was dead and now he really is alive. I don't know if you've ever been around a dead person. Maybe you've been with a loved one who's, who's passed away. And I don't say this thing to, to bring up grief or, or to, to be shocking or anything. But, but if you've been around a dead person, you'll know how impossible this seems, right? If you've seen death, you'll know how other and not there a dead person is. Cold and, and heavy and empty. And what we have to grasp is that that was Jesus. This was our Jesus. Our Jesus was dead, fully dead. We saw this on Friday night. We finished by saying, Jesus is dead. But then, at dawn on the third day, his corpse that was wrapped in the same kind of cloth that, that Lazarus's was, came back to life. You see, an actual cold, dead heart began to beat again. And, and, and stiff, cold fingers began to move. And, and, and empty, dark lungs filled with air. Jesus took a breath. Think about this. And it wasn't a trick. And it wasn't a myth. And it's not an exaggeration. Jesus really was dead. And he really came back to life. Amen? And this is the foundation of our entire faith. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. He goes on to say, and then he goes on to say, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied above all people. And he's right, isn't he? Like if, if, if Jesus isn't actually dead, then we are so pitiful. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then I mean what I said at the start. I just want to pack up now and go home and not come back and do this anymore. Now listen, maybe you find certain parts of the Bible hard to deal with. Uh, maybe you don't like what the Bible says about sex or money or gender or loving your enemies. Believe that Jesus physically came back from the dead, then don't worry about those other things. Because without the resurrection, none of those things matters. Let the resurrection be your stumbling block. Because without that, the rest is irrelevant. 
Tim Keller says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said, right? And he goes on to say, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you rests on not just the fact that Jesus died, but that he came back to life again. Our Jesus, our friend, our husband, our brother, our Savior was dead and now he is alive. Death is beaten. That tomb is empty. Those women are going along and they're saying, how are we going to move this stone away because it's so large? And it really was moved when they got there. Matthew tells us that the angels moved the stone away. They rolled the stone away. The tomb really is empty. And Jesus is saying to us this morning, do you believe this? This is the question we need to ask ourselves. And what's interesting is Martha's response to Jesus' question, the way she answers him. In verse 27, she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now, why did Martha answer this way? Because it kind of seems that maybe she was answering a question that Jesus didn't ask. Jesus said, do you believe this? And she's like, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And then she's like, you are the Christ, the Son of God. But you see, Martha gets it. Martha knows Jesus, and she, in this moment, confesses who Jesus is. And we're in a more privileged position than Martha, because at this point, Martha didn't have the resurrection of Jesus to prove who he is. But we do. You see, by conquering death and rising from the grave, Jesus proves that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. You might know the story of, of Peter um, on, uh, on the day of Pentecost, which comes later. After Jesus ascended to heaven, and he says that because Jesus has risen from the dead, God declared him to be both Lord and Christ. This is why the resurrection is core of the gospel. And if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. The resurrection is why we worship Jesus. The resurrection proves that Jesus is God and therefore deserves our worship. Jesus, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no cause to worship him. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then we have no Jesus didn't prove that he was God by his death, but in his resurrection, he shows that he is who he says he is. We worship Jesus because he's alive, right? And being alive is the proof that he is Christ, the Son of God. And listen, the resurrection of Jesus is as real today as it was all those years ago. We don't worship a dead God, right? We worship the living God. The hero of our faith is dead, but we celebrate that he's alive. We, we, because Jesus was dead and because he was buried and because he came back to life, he is worthy of praise. Death couldn't hold him. Even when he surrendered to, to death on the cross, hell couldn't defeat him. So here's where I want to finish this morning. It was pretty incredible that, that Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. That is a really amazing thing to happen. But here's the really incredible thing. 
in Jesus, we have a fuller and better resurrection than Lazarus. We don't have the same resurrection as Lazarus. You see, Lazarus was raised to mortal life. He would die again someday. And the fact that he comes out of the tomb wrapped in the grave clothes is symbolic of this. Like, I mean, he came out of the tomb and the people had to, Jesus said, you have to unwrap him, right? His body was alive, but he was literally still shrouded in direction we have in Jesus is far, far better. How do we know this? Because when Jesus was raised to life, he wasn't bound by the grave clothes. When the disciples looked into the grave, what did they see? <laughs> they saw the grave clothes lying there and the, the, the face cloth was folded. He didn't have to have any help to be freed from death. Nobody had to help him escape the clutches of death. You see, when Jesus was raised to life, he was raised to a glorious and eternal life. Completely conquered death. And, in the res and, and, and that's the resurrection that we now share in him. We share in a glorious, eternal resurrection. We have been raised to a life that can never be taken away from us. When we receive life by believing in Jesus, we will never die. This is the, the hope that we have because Jesus walked out of that tomb. And so this Easter, I want to tell you what I believe. Here's what I believe, and I really believe this, and I stand publicly. I believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. I believe that Jesus really was dead and now really is alive. I believe that Jesus is still alive and forever will be alive. I believe that I will share in his resurrection and will never die. I believe that Jesus, through his resurrection, has proved himself to be the solution to our greatest problem. And the question he asks us is, do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. His tomb is empty. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would uh, make these truths alive in our hearts, that we would truly believe in your resurrection. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would stir up within us deep faith. We will we rely on you, Lord, for even the faith to believe in this. Jesus, we thank you that your tomb is empty. We thank you that you walked out of that grave. And by believing in you, that we will never die. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that tells us this. We thank you that you caused Jesus to be raised to life again. And, and Jesus, as we come to your table now, we just ask that um, you would remind us again uh, that we can celebrate your death because death wasn't the end. We can celebrate your death and celebrate that our debt of sin is paid. We can celebrate your death knowing that the body was broken, has been raised to life again. And so will we be.